and gentlemen, welcome to Colts Coffee Conversation. My name is Carl. And I'm Holly. Welcome to episode four of Wild Wild Country about the Rajneesh movement in the early 80s uh, up in Oregon. How are you today? I'm fine. I am sipping my coffee, my Corducio. Ooh, fancy feast. I am sipping on a delicious French roast, a bourgeois. All right. Anyway, I hope you guys are ready for another wild, exciting adventure. The tale uh, continues to tell itself and, of course, stimulate. We are just normal, regular people, giving our own personal opinions and evaluations on what we've seen. We are not uh, professors or anything of that nature. We're just normal, regular people who go to work every day, and some work the night shift. All righty. Okay, we talked about coffee. It's time about to talk about the Colts and have a conversation about them. All right, let's get to it. Get in. So in episode four, it opens up with Dan DeRoe. Mm. He is a senior senior planner, city planner, for the Wasco County. Yes. And he was hired to do that job. Yes. It shows that he's going out to the ranch. He has to go buy antelope. Mm-hmm. And as we know, antelope is about 19 miles away from Roshnish Purim. Mm-hmm. And every time he got to antelope, he started having a pit... The pit of his stomach was yeah, to starting churn. to tur- churn. Well, the reason is, is they had to have a police escort to go in there, and he had to have a bulletproof vest. Yes. So that right there will tell you it's a little nerve-wracking. Yeah, it's uh, not safe. Okay. <laughs> the blockage. Yes, they, they came up upon the, the road to into the ranch, mm. and there was a truck that was stopped, and it was blocking their entrance. Mm-hmm. The police thought that was interesting, and it ends up that Sheila comes out, and the reporters are there because mm. they thought, well, there might be some kind of confrontation. Let's cover it. Right. Well, they ask Sheila, oh, is this a joke, Sheila? And she goes, no, it's not a joke. This is, you know, serious business here. And she was denying that they would have blocked the road. Well, as it, as it turns out, it gets, it's, being, it's getting dark. Right. And the senior planner decided, you know what? Let's just turn around. We'll make a turnaround. And they, they did. And then he saw three buildings. Yeah. They were single wide trailers. Yes. And he said, you know what? Why don't we go look in and see what are in there? Yeah. Okay. And so he asked Katie, which is the... The mayor. The mayor of Roshnish Purim. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, yeah. Well, you know, this, those are just janitorial storage areas. And I don't have the key. And so because of the lateness of the hour, the planner... Dan DeRoe decided, well, you know what, I yeah, think let's, 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 let's go. Yeah. And they did. And his whole part of the conversation in, in the documentary was, what if? What if they did go in there? Because as he finds out later, that was their laboratory. Yeah, and that sets the whole episode up for what, 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 ha- what plans to be. So now we're talking about, now this is 28 days before the election. And of course, the election is, is for county, for county county positions. Of course, it's in the Dalles. Uh, the Dalles is the the largest city in in Wasco County. This is where things start start to get interesting. The tides are turning towards the to, uh, the Rajneeshi towards the people. But at this time, we don't know about that. What happens is there's becomes a huge breakout. Uh, people started getting sick. People start getting violently ill. And the total cases of the, the violently ill was uh, 751 cases and ended up being uh, uh, Salmonella. Yeah, all in one city. All in one city, that is correct. That's where we get to meet the uh, character Jim Weaver. Now, Jim Weaver, uh, he was uh, held a hearing in, re- in regards to this in the House of Representatives. 
He was a congressman, He was right? a congressman, that is correct. He was a congressman. And the first words out of his mouth was, Sheila was a piece of work and starts laughing. Okay. So the poisoning of the Dalles is what they're going to go over. Yes. At first, they're thinking, well, you know, there's something going on. It it appeared to be not in one pattern. It was scattered all over that town. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, just to uh, name a few of restaurants that they were affected was the, a place called Arlo's, uh, the Portage Inn and Shakey's. So it looks like buffet places. Yes. And so the health department came. They they were in, they were inspecting these. Uh, they had to. Yeah, they had to inspect it just like anybody would. They decided it was going to, it must have been something about the food handlers. A lot of them lived in the same households because it's small town. Yeah. And somehow that the food wasn't being handled properly or maybe they had a virus. But Jim Weaver, he kind of thought about that. And what did he say, He Carl? said that's the silliest thing I've ever heard. He was not too pleased at all in regards to that. No, because there's 751 people. Yeah, it's not just like, you know. It's not just not, about it's five not just one people restaurant. Yeah. or, you know. Yeah, it's not just one restaurant or it's just like, you know, just a cluster of a family who got sick. But here's the thing, too. I just thought of it just now. Is that if if it was such a bad thing, how come the food handlers never got sick? Well, maybe I don't know if they did or not. It didn't really go yeah, into it. Yeah, didn't go it. into it. But that's just you know just a thought. I that's just, true. Uh, of it. But yeah, because he also mentioned uh, that. Uh, uh, well, this is where Jim Weaver uh, takes a hit, um, telling uh, like on record saying that he ha- he he can only conclude that he's very positively certain that the sabotage did take place. So right. So he is not just saying, oh, this is just a mistake of handling the food. No, it's actually it a, some sort of a plot. It's a plot to poison an entire town. And it's in his uh, address to the House of Congress. Yes. Oh, right. Okay. So in in the House of Congress, it, it was uh, televised by C-SPAN. C-SPAN. Yeah. Yes. And C-SPAN only just televises what's there. They don't really have commentary. Now, in this film that they showed in the documentary of him talking about what he he believes happened he said Mr. Speaker I have a story to tell you yeah and he was telling the story of his his theory on what happened for this poisoning now he didn't have any solid proof no he just had that gut feeling feeling, he wanted it on tape he wanted it on public record Mm -hmm. and of course it was on public record so what happened after this was on public record in the House of Representatives? Well, you know, uh, if we all know that the Rajneesh had their own medical facilities. The, so they had a, 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 a reply in regards to that. And, of course, there's good old Miss Cute Mishan TV up on stage there. They were saying that uh, the claims were outrageous and purely malicious. They were absolutely false. It's an ugly, cowardly lie. It's a despicable and outrageous thing. She, uh, and now during this time... You know, you see her, she says that I pulled a Sheila. So she decided to get really uh, aggressive with the press. Yes, and mm. she said, and, I pulled a Sheila, and you don't know exactly where it's going. Yeah, no, you're just like, okay, what are you going to do with that? Uh-oh. You know, and then she said that the Rajneeshis are going to infect the whole world with joy and with laughter and uh, in, in an epidemic proportions. So I, you know, she kind of took off like, oh yeah, we're gonna infect people, 
But, you know, and we're thinking, oh, no, they're going to poison other people. But, no, she's just saying infectious laughter and joy. Yeah, the way she came off, it was a little threatening-ish. So, yes. yeah. So, anyway, during this time, uh, you know, uh, at this point, of course, the idea of it sounds so preposterous. Like, Jim Weaver's taken, he's taken some blowback, a lot of blowback. Uh, in his words, all hell broke loose on him. Uh, his eight-year-old daughter thought he was crazy. You know, he did, and he did, and he was quoted saying he didn't have any concrete proof. But he had his views on the situation. And he went on talk shows about it, oh, too. Oh, absolutely, yeah. He was not shy about it at all. And, of course, uh, Bill Bowerman comes into play a little bit. He's the man with the hat. Bill Bowerman, who's, of course, the neighbor of the Rajanishi over at the ranch, he told Jim that, you know, did you know that these people are murderers and cutthroats? That's his words, verbatim. And that's where, you know, he, with his theories and with, with Bill Bowerman, who's the neighbor, says that put two and two together, that's when he really decided to do a full investigation on the Rajneeshi. Okay. Mishanti B was talking about how Sheila was in a real bad position. Yeah. Because the Share a Home Project was a failure. Now, yeah. the Share a Home Project was let's bus in the homeless people from all over the United States, bring them into, onto Rajneesh Purim, for the election that was coming up, mm. Oregon had a very liberal voting laws, voting registration laws, yeah. and so that failed, as we had talked about in the last episode. And now they have that hornet's nest of the homeless people mm. that are still there. Yeah, it, it, that was a failure. So she had to kind of figure out another way of making the election go in their favor. Yeah. Well, no, and the thing, too, is that, you know, the Bhagwan, you know, told her that she needed to make sure that she had some Rajneeshi on the county commission. Right, so the pressure was mounting, and in that respect, she didn't know if she was going to keep her position as the Bhagwan's personal secretary. That is correct, yes. So, you know, and not only that, then another another uh, character has come into play now at this point, the Hollywood crowd. Now, okay, can you tell us about the Hollywood crowd? Yeah, the Hollywood crowd basically were the, we'll call them the Johnny-come-latelys, because they're just, you know, flying on a fancy chair. Okay, now who, who were they? Well, I mean, their, their, main, their main two people who were running the Hollywood crowd was Al Ruddy, who was the producer of The Godfather, and then also his wife, Hasia. Hasia. They, they're the ones who, who came in. Mostly it was Hasia who was really a, really about the situation. So what they those two would do, well, they did a lot of things for the Bhagwan. First, they got him a house in the hills. And in that, which hills are those? Uh, Los Angeles, I'm okay. sorry. Yes. In the house of uh, probably Beverly Hills, I'm assuming so, or even on the, on the um, you know, the, those Hollywood mountains. So anyway, uh, they at that house, it would raise money to give to the Bhagwan. They also uh, gave Bhagwan a catalog for jewelry. And of course, they also bought him a million dollar watch, which is gorgeous. They, they show it. And then also, uh, they were in an interview and they asked both Hasia and Al Ruddy how much money would be given to the Bhagwan. He said at least a few hundred thousand each. So, you look so they at, were buying his, they were buying in, buying literally money, giving to the Bhagwan so he would be, he, they wanted to be close to him. Yeah, in reciprocation of this, the Bhagwan would be giving them visits without Sheila there. Right. So, uh, of course, you know, during this time, Sheila would never would have proved the jewelry, would have never proved the, the, just the catalog itself or the house because that's not what it was, that's not what it was about. But, you know, 
the Hollywood crowd is the Hollywood crowd, and they're going to yeah. Be they were going to be. Do. They were separate people. They were not influenced by Sheila. No, because they had their they, own they were, influential. Yeah, the, there was no control. Sheila had no control over these people. No, he. She did no, not. No, she did not. So during this time, Sheila did feel threatened, especially by Hasia, because uh, someone else had the Bhagwan's ear, not just her exclusively. Now there was a situation where Hasia and John uh, was to run another corporation. For you know, on behalf of the Bhagwan, which that's basically was Sheila's job, and he told Sheila that they were going to do it. wasn't asked. He just flat out told her, "This is what's going to happen." And of course, she was very, very angry. Yes. So she, she's looking at this. She's saying, "Wow, I don't have the Bhagwan's ear." And before, remember, she would go every day, and she would have her audience with him. She was a sixteen-year-old girl when she began this journey with him they did a lot they they made a big ashram in india they had to escape that she built this this ranch this community she's been fighting the state i mean she had a lot going on she had a lot of success with that yeah and now all of a sudden the hollywood crowd comes in and they buy him off with with material wealth yeah because they mentioned that the uh... The Bhagwan's like a little blackbird collecting shiny things. Yes. So the Bhagwan, she remembers that her father, this is Sheila, remembers that her father said that she and Bhagwan are meant to be together, a team that is unbreakable. Well, obviously, he didn't feel that way. Yeah. The Bhagwan did not feel that way, but she still did. The power of trust and love was very, very significant with them and at this by this time they had been together about 20 years at least yeah okay and Sheila was totally trained in her thought process yes she had her own mind and she had her own cunning but obviously she was molded by the Bhagwan to do the things that she did and she said when I when I felt like he was behind me that I was unstoppable that I had you know a lot of confidence and now she's getting her confidence chipped away at. Yeah. And her highest priority in her existence was to protect his vision and protect his people. She had fallen in love with him, and that was early on. But the Bhagwan got sidetracked. And in those sidetracked, when he was sidetracked, he was not as coherent with her about what was going on. Right. And he he talked with her one day, and he spoke of a doomsday scenario. Yeah. And Sheila felt like this was an irrational behavior. Yeah, because it's nothing that, you know, where, did, where is this coming from? Well, come to find out that uh, the Hollywood crowd ended up getting the Bhagwan hooked on drugs. So that probably explains a lot, because uh, he was hooked on Valium, a combination of Valium and laughing gas. Now, now, how did this come about that Sheila found out that he was hooked on drugs? She had a conversation with the doctor. No, with the pharmacist. Oh, the pharmacist, that's right, because the doctor gave him those prescriptions in regards to it. Yes, yeah, so the doctor wrote the prescriptions, the pharmacist ordered it, and then he was in shock, so he told Sheila she was furious and yeah. upset. Well, yeah, she addressed the Bhagwan about this, and, and, and you know him about it and of course you know verbatim he said stay out of it so i mean that you know after that she after that she was uh, heartbroken and confused and didn't tolerate it and she just lost her patience with the whole hollywood crowd 
Okay, so that means that she's going to go into action. Yes, that's correct. Okay, in the next segment of the documentary, we have the Swami. Yeah, we're talking about the INS case. Now, so yeah, that he they used immigration, right, Carl, to to get the Bhagwan. Yes, yeah, correct. And at first, they were going to attack him himself. Yeah. And it was he came on as a dissident. Yes, correct. And so we weren't sure if that's just a temporary visa. It's a timed visa. Yeah, it's like it gives you a total, I think, like two years or something like that to get yourself established. So he needed to get a different visa, and they wanted to establish him as a religious worker. Yes, that's correct. They did that. Well, they, the, they applied for it. They applied for it, yeah, and, and got denied. It got denied because people in high places in Oregon knew people in high places in Washington, D.C. And it probably would have just gone through, no big deal, but because of the controversy going on, it got national attention. Well, and part of the thing, too, is is that with the INS, their, their, their case also was the fact that he never said anything. So you remember, he was already in silence before he even got to the ranch. So when you're applying for a... Uh, a religious a worker. A religious worker... And you're just sitting in a ranch not doing much and all you see is Sheila and you never see him talk at all. You know, it raises the question, you know. Well, I think it was something that they were trying to pin on him. But Swami, on mm. the other hand, what he well, was he was fighting this yeah, case. Yeah, he, he, he was fighting the case and, and his, his pretty much statement in his quote was if the Pope... Uh, you know, had laryngitis, he stops being the Pope. That was because of the, they really used that year and a half of silence. That was his thing. It's like, we've never heard him talk. We've never heard him teach. You got books, you got all this stuff, but you don't hear him actually have services, things of that nature. So, you know, he said that the uh, the, the case was biased, uh, prejudgment of religious, uh, under religious discrimination and uh, r- racial discrimination. So, but this is, but this is where the, uh, the nonprofit uh, legal organization team comes into play. With Swami. Now, of course, we all know in previous episodes, the first episode, we find out that Swami is a very successful Hollywood attorney. So he set this nonprofit uh, legal organization up with 20 lawyers and 25 paralegals. Obviously, he's fully staffed. So, he, you know, and there's plenty of bodies to, to dig all this stuff up. You know, what happened was is that they had to basically prove to the INS was biased in their decision and it was against the law. So what happened was is that the INS, after showing up with a thousand pages of of proof that he was a religious leader, they had no other choice but to grant his visa as a religious teacher. Okay, so he did win that. Yeah, they, his thing was, we didn't win a lot in Oregon, but we won that one. Okay, he was very happy about yes. that. So now we go into Charles Turner. He's getting involved, and he is the U.S. District Attorney under Ronald Reagan, who yeah. was handpicked. Yeah, it was right? handpicked. That, that was very important. It wasn't just a random choice. He had He personally... Ronald Reagan, when he got elected, picked him out personally. Okay. That's a huge deal. And his, his comment was, conspiracy is a federal prosecutor's best friend. Yes. Okay, now, what he did was they were looking into the philosophy of the Bhagwan. And the Bhagwan believed that marriage was worthless institution, but they noticed that so many of the sannyasins were getting married at the ranch. So it was a contradiction. So he said, if you take three steps back and you look and see, well, why would they be getting married when that's something that is not encouraged? Right. Well, basically, this turned out to be immigration, 
uh, fraud, uh, immig uh, an immigration, immigration fraud, fraud case. case. Yeah. So basically, the setup was this: is this is what they were doing. This is what they discovered after dealing with. Because mind you, one Charles got, Charles Turner got involved. They only worked on this case. For, yeah, he for and two another years. person he, worked on it for two years. Two years straight. That's that's the only thing they worked on was this. So you know, and of course, when the government wants to get you, they will get. They you. will get you. They have the money and the resources. Resources, the money. They have it all. So uh, basically, here was the uh, the setup. Well, this is what they said: we're a male, he's U.S. citizen, and a female, a foreign. And they actually mentioned their names, but I'm not going to. Uh, they both would both leave the ranch. And they go to well, they, they their main was Houston. They but they would go to city, any random, city, random just a city. Random city, yeah. They would ditch their sannyasin names and go back to their original names. They would get jobs and get an apartment and make it look like they had a uh, committed relationship. Then they would go down to the city for a marriage license, obviously getting married. And then a few weeks later, you go to the immigration services and request a green card. Now, once they got the green card, they beelined it straight back over to the ranch. And then once they got to the ranch, they continued their relationship with their other significant others if they had right and the thing is is they just didn't do it in one city they scattered they, they, so much around was, the it, united states it was hard to track yeah it. the cities that they found was dallas seattle southern california trenton new jersey philadelphia you know so the pattern was just very hard to connect it all until they finally realized once they make connect all the dots and see all the people who got married that it was the largest immigration fraud case in u.s history yes there's still pressure on sheila yeah so she decides she is going to make a list of enemies. Now, Sheila lived in a large compound on the ranch, and it's called Jesus Grove. Yeah, Jesus Grove. And only her very trusted confidants and trusted people lived with her. Yeah, her, her specific inner circle, yeah. Yes. She decides, well, I'm going to make a list of enemies. And he, she did. And what, what kind of list was that that you called it? I call it the kill list. A kill list, and it was a literal kill list. Yeah, it was, it was written down. Charles Turner was on the list. She said, well, we're going we're gonna to shoot him. And because Shanti B is a good shot, Shanti B, you're going to be doing the shooting. Yeah, she was the best shot of all of them. Okay. What happened is there was a plot that Shanti B was telling the documentarians, and basically what it was is she drove to an apartment in Portland, and she changed out of her sannyasin clothes into regular street clothes. They selected weaponry. They had people help them. They were small pistols, right? Yeah, they tied you small pistols. Mm -hmm. And then they drove over to where Charles Turner worked. Yeah. They hung out at a McDonald's across the street, and it was many hours. Yes. They're waiting for yeah, him. Yeah, because he was missing. And we had coffee, and I smoked for the first time, but I was smoking cigarettes. Yes, yes she's from Australia. That's yeah. why she has that accent. And they pointed out where he parked his car. They never saw him. He didn't come out no, that day. No, he never day. came out that day, yeah. Who knows? He was working late. So they stopped. They went to their car. They drove off, and they were even trying to figure out, well, where else can we shoot him? And they, by the way, they were going to do it in broad daylight. Yeah, and 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 me watching it and breaking it down, I was like, okay, I've been to Portland, and I don't know how you pull this off. I mean... Well, I don't know where you pull it off anywhere, but it appears that Sheila didn't care if they got caught or not. I, that's what it looks like it was going to be the sacrificial lambs. Because the thing, too, is, is that, I mean, Portland is a huge metropolitan city. It's not like... They weren't able Podunk to do Town. it that day. No. So now the next person that comes into play is yeah, who? Yeah, is Les Zates. He is a uh, investigative journalist for the Oregonian. Now, 
he is a uh, very, very, pe not peculiar, but a very interesting character in this play because he he's the one who basically decided to go a little further back and to find out not only why are they here in Oregon, but where did they, wh come, where did they from? come from? Mm -hmm. wh who, wh what's the deal, basically? So what he does is that uh, he was selected to go fly over to India, back, to, back into Poon, where they originally came from, and, you know, to see who, what, when, where, why, you know, that kind of stuff. And so basically what happened was over, is it 18th month? 18th, 18 months 18 of months investigation. investigation. He and collected over 35,000 pages of material on why they left India in the first place. And this is what he found out. So there's, you'll notice a pattern here. Okay. He found out uh, that, that the government was going to charge and arrest them for immigration fraud, tax issues, smuggling currency of gold, arson and and sophisticated criminal activity and when they left they actually they actually owed four million alone and just in taxes that yes. they owed the government okay that was his investigation he ran it through the oregonian which is a newspaper and it was in 20 segments and it's been the longest running investigative reports that that newspaper ever had and of, it's and still, still to this day yeah. yeah and it's still online if anybody wants to look for it i'm gonna read it the next thing that is going to happen in this story is we have the homeless that are still at the ranch and they need to go now the plot to get them registered to vote failed now they're there and they're taking up resources at the ranch and they have a lot of problems. Yeah, well, just a friendly reminder, like and we discussed in episode three where they were actually drugging the homeless's uh, beer. Yeah, because they had an issue with one of them that attacked Sheila and almost killed him. Yeah, because they had a lot her. of people who were, were mentally... Um, yes. So. so, Sheila held a council of sorts at the gathering hall, and they got all of the homeless in there. Now, there was about 6,000 of them or at so. At least, yeah, it was 6,000, yeah. And now... And she informed them that they have some new rules. But basically what she was informing them is that they are not going to put up with any of their nonsense anymore. Now their nonsense is, I mean, any like we had, we had known uh, working with people that were homeless, you have the ones that are just down on their luck, and you have all the way to the ones that are mentally ill. Yeah. And violent. Yes. So, and everyone in between. So she was not going to put up with any more of their, their nonsense. So she's telling them that the next day they were going to start getting their notes to leave the ranch. Right. Yeah, and some you know some of these people who were either asked to leave, told to leave, and even during if you take a look at the um, when she was doing her little council meeting or whatever you want to call it it was in that hall mm -hmm. you know they were having the guards were literally like picking people up and forcing them right and them. all of these people were armed guards the security force had weapons because that was their police that was their yes. peace their peace uh, mm -hmm. uh corps or right. peace police yes so they were being physically removed because they didn't want to go they had it good they could you know i they three just, hots in a cot and they were there they were there yeah and they really didn't have anywhere else to go right what happened is now they have a situation. So they got these homeless people in vans, and they were dropping them off in neighborhoods at the Dalles. Yeah, just And in the middle yeah. of the night, they were dropping these people off. 
at two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. And when the neighbors would come out and say, hey, what are you doing? They would brandish their weapons at them, like, don't mess with us. Just, you know, go back into your house. Right. So one of the law enforcement people got a call. What What should we do about this? And what's our legal what's our legal right? Right. So, yeah. And, of course, this went on all over Wasco County and in Portland. And they were, bas- they were basically dropping off all of their homeless people out of the ranch and putting their rejects out onto the, the, the community and into the state of Oregon. And the thing, too, is you got to, you know, just to kind of paint a picture, you're not talking like, five six seven ten people you're talking hundreds of thousands of people just a sea of people who are homeless and who are well they weren't hundreds of thousands there was like six or seven thousand well hundreds that means like two three hundred two almost a thousand oh i'm sorry okay not one hundreds of thousands <laughs> yeah no hundreds two thousands I'm okay sorry. Hundreds, gotcha two thousands okay anyway there we go, the rejects. And, of course, if they didn't have any money, they didn't have any means of support, they're going to start stealing and whatever kind of criminal whatever activity to, to survive. To survive. Yeah. So, yeah, so uh, once that, then next he comes up to the Wasco County election. Now, this is where the pressure is from getting people to the uh, city. Was it the, uh, the, county, supervisor, the supervisor, county, yes. The county mm-hmm. commission. So, basically, what happened was is that now you know, what, what, the, what the Rajneesh didn't realize is that the push that Wasco County did for people to go out and vote was they pushed hard, real hard. Uh, basically, you know, the main scare tactic was, is, hey, if you don't come out and vote, because chances are you're going to be wearing red and having a necklace with, you know, the Bhagwan's face on it. You know, they were really, really aggressive in having people vote. And they didn't realize how big the county was. They just assumed that, okay, you got the Dalles, and then you have, like, a small towns like Antelope, like Antelope yeah, like with 40, 40 people. people or something like that. So mm-hmm. they said, okay, we'll bring in, you know, 12,000 should be enough. And it wasn't enough. Not to mention that, you know, the in the previous episode about they turned those people away because of the... They turned the homeless people they away. turned the homeless people away. From registering to vote. Exactly, for, for registered voter fraud. So they, like I said, they didn't realize how big the county was, you know, and then they knew the Rajneesh knew that they lost before even the election happened. And of course, because they wouldn't let the homeless people into the voting booth... You know, so the, the the mayor, Diva, KD, um, he said that uh, if this is democracy, I've had enough of it. And, of course, uh, uh, Sheila, she gets upset, too, as well, saying that it was a misuse of power, which I found funny. And she even mentioned if I was able to vote, I wouldn't vote. Yeah, right. Then the, the, what happened <laughs> <laughs> well, What happened was that 93% turnout came to vote. That's that's. I, I would imagine the only percentage that wasn't voting is either they had recently died or they were in the hospital sick probably yeah. yeah you know so basically uh yeah sheila was complaining that they used the law to their 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 own advantage but the whole thing is she tried to use the law to her own advantage and even in the past she had said we use these loopholes to get what we want yeah and so basically they said okay touche that's right they use loopholes they, they also. also as well and then of course it's okay for her but it's not okay for anybody else. Well, that's how human nature is. So, Sheila didn't take losing lightly. No, she didn't. So, she began on a rampage. Now, remember, she already had a kill list. Yeah, she already had a kill list. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) She began to make plans to do other things. Yes. There was an incident at the planning office. Now, that was where our first gentleman came out of, is the planning office. Because without 
your plans being approved, you can't build. That's correct. Or if they you did build and they're not correct, they can make you tear it down. They can red tag you, as we know. Well, and they could... So it's very important. So she wanted to make sure that, oh, you know what? Let's... Let's... Let's burn this place down. So she had some of her trusted trusted people go in there, and they they tried to put the thing on fire. They, they, no, they did. They broke in. They took all the files and all the drawers, used it as kindling, and threw gasoline or lighter fluid everywhere, and then just lit a match and let them. No, they burnt the place down. Okay. They burned it down. And mind you, just a you know thing, too, is that it was the planning offices that brought up to their attention they could, know, they could not have their own city. Okay, yeah, it was so all there, it, tied in it's together. All tied in together. Now and, the other thing now, that happened so is that the there's a box of chocolates. Dark secrets. And <laughs> so the planning office, or I'm not sure who did they who did they send these chocolates out to? They sent them out to just a random people. Like it was, they got it in their mailbox. Everybody got. A but little, who were they, the people that got them? They were just citizens. No, I think they had to do with the, either the planning office or the attorney general or some of the people no, on was, their kill it list. No, was, it, it was thank you for your support for some... Oh, I didn't write it down. Well, it, it was, the, it was to, to supporting the valley. Some sort of valley. cause. Some sort of cause, yeah. No, it was their support of the valley. Oh, okay, there. yeah. Uh, in the election. Yeah, and then the silver tooth noticed that you know they were handing out these candies or giving out... Because it was some of them got mailed to it. And they were saying, hey, thanks for the candy. You know, we appreciate the chocolates. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And the, um, the Silvertooth said that there was a pinhole on the bottom of one of the... One of the chocolates. One of the chocolates. Okay. So he said that you... Because we just, to this day, we don't know, but I think it was Salmonella. Uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of high people, though, in, in, in government. Right, so they poisoned. poisoned a certain individual named Michael Sullivan, and he almost died. Mm-hmm. It was touch and go, they said, with him. Yes. And also another individual named Bill Hulse. He was poisoned by water that was given to him at the ranch. Yeah, he was a judge. He was a judge. Okay. So that's, and he went to go visit the ranch to see what was going on over there. So they offered him a glass of water, and he became instantly violently. And this is in the days before everyone had, you know, their own little water bottles yeah. and stuff. The good old days. <laughs> Okay, Carl. So now we go back to our investigated yeah, investigator report. Yeah, what happened was is that during this time he was also on the kill list too. You know, he was informed by the sheriff's department that he was marked for death. And then there's also because uh, at this time the rumors were spreading. Everything was getting just out of control with the rumors and innuendo. But the thing what happened was is that a lot of the rumors ended up becoming true. Well, this was one of them where an Air Rajneesh pilot refused uh, not to drop a bomb on the courthouse. Yeah, because, I mean, that wouldn't go well. Yeah. He would end up being shot out of the sky. That's correct. <laughs> That's correct. And then, so with all the stuff happening and obviously the arson of that and, of course, the poisonings, you know. Yeah, this is, and they had a hotline and they were, or they were getting so many reports and they, it was so outlandish, they couldn't even know if they could really believe, believe it. it or not, yeah. But in retrospect, they said... A lot of, of it, it was, was true. true. Yeah, a lot of it was true. So now during this time, you now Sheila begins to get paranoid. Okay, she did. We're talking about where Sheila, she, she, not only did she have a kill list for the exterior of the commune, she also had people within the community. The commune that so were on she that didn't list. like the personal doctor, Devraj. Devraj. Devraj, yeah. okay? He was the Bhagwan's personal doctor, mm-hmm. and it ends up 
by it doesn't go into detail. No, it doesn't. But Hasia divorced Al Ruddy. Yes. They got a divorce, and she ended up marrying the doctor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Devraj. Yeah, and once that happened, uh, uh, Sheila, Hashia were not. They were, they were rivals. Yeah, they became these. They became rivals because Hasia had the ear of the Bhagwan. Okay, yes. she, she lost a lot of access to the Bhagwan. She meaning Sheila. Yes. And, and so in that case, she decided to wiretap his whole house. Yeah, the, the, his room and house. Yeah, yes. Exactly. And so she also had people assisting her. One of them was the mayor, Katie, and he was replacing the tape in a tower by the Bhagwan's house. That's, That's where correct. they put the recording. Yeah, the recording uh, equipment. Equipment. Mm-hmm. And no, you know, that way nobody would go up there except those that were authorized. Yeah. And then the tapes were were done and then they came and someone listened to him and if there was something that was not right it would be reported to Sheila. That's correct. What would happen is one of one day well that's when it revealed that the Bhagwan was asking the doctor how can someone be put to death in a painless respectful way. Right. Mm-hmm. And the doctor just said well there's there's a three drugs that you use. One is morphine that you um, relax everything. And the other one was something that paralyzed the body. And then the third one was one that stopped the heart. Yes. Mm -hmm. Sheila discovered that this is something that that the Bhagwan was planning his own death. She was in shock. She was telling Shanti B. She was in shock. They had to prevent this from happening. But the doctor did order those drugs... And the Bhagwan told him to bury him in the garden safely until mm. he told him when it was going to happen. Yeah. Okay. And then also, you know, she, during the times that they did speak, she was told to build something. Build, yeah, she was told to build a crematorium. Now, we were talking about the crematorium was built, but it wasn't in the fact that he would thought that Sheila knew he was going to kill himself. Right. It was probably you know, told her, well, you know what, people are, it's a community, people are going to die, we need this as a service, like a funeral home. Exactly. Okay, so, but what was, what was the uh, date? What was this date he wanted, that he wanted uh, to die? Uh, he wanted to die, he's planning on dying on July 6th on Master's Day. Now, we looked into Master's Day and we have no clue why it was called Master's Day. Okay, but it was just a date that this he had date put that, down. That he put down, that's correct. So then, uh, now this is where uh, Shanti B comes into play. Now, after listening to this, uh, she playing the tapes with Sheila, she realized that, that the, the danger to Bhagwan was real and is directly coming from the doctor and the dentist uh, of, the, of the Hollywood crowd. So now this is where a lot of the people in in the circle, they, they instead of having their loyalty to Bhagwan, it shifted over to to uh, Sheila. Sheila, right. Yes, okay, so they put all of their trust, they would listen to her and do what she said. Yeah, that's where they, they, they transferred all their devotion from, they just transferred their devotion to her. Because from from the, from the outside's perspective, Sheila's really doing what's best for the Bhagwan. The Bhagwan. And that's the correct. community. And the community, of course. Now, now on the eve of... Uh, July 6th, so it'll be the, the 5th. The 5th of July. Yeah, Sheila planned to get rid of the, uh, uh, the, to get doctor. Rid of the doctor. Yeah, so uh, they called everybody over to Jesus Grove. What happened was is that they were all in a circle and they were trying to figure out, you know, who's going to do it, who's going to do it, who's going to do it. Yeah, and I remember that Shanti B is like saying, oh, wow, this is crazy, and no one was speaking up. So Shanti B 
was there and she was listening to all of this about killing the doctor. Yeah. And all of a sudden, Sheila said, well, who's going to do it? And she heard a voice saying, I'll do it. And she discovered it was her own voice. Right, yeah. It, she, she, she volunteered enough to, to, to kill him, the doctor. Yes, so she was given the needle. She changed her clothes into something where she could hide the syringe. And she also was told about, you know, this is only for to keep the Bhagwan alive. This was what she was telling herself. She was like Joan of Arc. She was doing a good service for everybody for the greater good. And so she had a calmness about her in doing this. She wasn't afraid. She went up. There was a big festival going on. Lots, thousands of people. They were up on the stage. She came and she was close to the doctor. Yeah, she sat right behind him. Okay. And then during the celebration, she she went up and she was whispering something into his ear. And then she struck him with the syringe. Yeah. And he, of course, is in, you know, oh, no, what's going on? And it, she knew the, what ha- he knew what happened to him. Yeah. Right. And the effect was coming right away. Yeah. She played it off like, what's going on? What's wrong? Are you okay? And, you know, he was staggering around. And she played that off for quite a while. She threw the syringe down. There was another person who was, was planted there, planted there to, to get rid of that evidence. Yeah. Then she walked back to Jesus Grove all mm-hmm. by herself. Mm-hmm. And then she started thinking about it. She was really shattered about the whole thing because she was taught, thou shalt not kill. Yeah. The continual of that is that we're talking about, you know, with Sheila, you know, because it ends in that, in that situation and it goes on to Sheila where... She was uh, uh, worn thin and she was exhausted. Okay, so she was. She's obviously just tried to kill somebody or have someone killed. Everything that she's put her hand on in the last months has not been successful. She's going to lose her position to Hasia, who she can't stand. Mm-hmm. The Bhagwan is not listening to her anymore. She was talking with her mother. And she was very... She was very gaunt, and she was probably not eating. And her mother, which we've never heard about before, said that if you continued this way, you're going to die. Yeah. So this is where, you know, she she made that decision that she was going to leave. Right. She was going to leave. Now, Sheila says that the 13th of September, 1985, was her own personal Independence Day. And she was going to leave the Bhagwan. All who were with her, day and night, they decided they were all going to go together. And they saw, they shifted their loyalty from the Bhagwan to her. Now, the interesting thing that we had talked about was that it was July 5th that the murder was going to take place. It didn't, it wasn't successful. But now we're in September 13th, which is about two and a half months later. We don't know what happened in the interim because I know Shanti B had decided that after that attempt that she would have to leave. But she hadn't left either. So we don't know what was going on. But now it is the 13th of September, 1985. And they were taking off in a jet. They left with 21 pieces of luggage. There was 20 people. And they left in the in the jet and I one of them said well at least we left like queens right yeah so then you have the uh, the aftermath of that is that uh, when Swami found out that Sheila left of course he was in 
utter shock, and it still affected him to this day, because when he was talking about it, he still couldn't find the words, and you can see he got started getting very teary-eyed. The press coverage, you know, it said that in the headline that, you know, Sheila was leaving, and then on the bottom, or actually on the left side in the middle, it says that 55 million was missing from uh, from the accounts of the uh, the Rajneesh. And we don't know if that's actually no, true. No, we don't or know not. if that's true or not. You know, also uh, when they're in the air, Mish, uh, uh, Mishanti B was saying that uh, she was overwhelmed that, you know, that that we left the master because remember, you know, you know her story. She had she she relocated her entire family to Poon at the time, all the way you know farther back then. So it was it was a very life changing experience for her and her daughter. Not to mention that Sheila, you know, she said that she had to figure out her life on her own. Right, because she learned from the Bhagwan that you are to burn, burn your, your bridges, bridges and go forward. Exactly. So what happened was is that, of course, the Bhagwan's not informed yet until later on that, oh, yeah, Sheila left. And, of course, you know, uh, Sonny, you know, Sunshine. Sunshine. Uh, Son Sonny was saying that uh, he was not happy. He had vengeance. He was not going to, he was going to prosecute and he was interested in getting her. He wanted her to get caught. So that just, that, you know, reaction there just tells me that there's, there's, there's a lot more than meets the eye when it comes to that because, you know, he was not one to be so, such a, a violent individual. Well, no, now remember it ended up, oh, well, that's jumping ahead a little bit. That's fine, but so Swami, uh, Swami said that he fully expected for everything to hit the fan. Exactly. And it did. It did. And after three and a half years of silence, the Bhagwan decided he had to speak. Well, now he finally decided Well, he to has speak. to because he doesn't have anybody to speak for him because she's gone. Right. And so he invited the press to come in to hear him speak. He spoke to all the sannyasins that were on the ranch in that big meeting hall. He ended up claiming that Sheila took advantage of his silence. She and her people that were loyal to her attempted to murder people mm -hmm. on the ranch and yep. off the ranch which was true okay and that she did uh, wiretapping his home he called her and her people a gang of fascists yeah they use that word fascist a lot yes they do in fact sheila used it also oh, so yeah. we know that that came from the bogwan yeah and then the final, the final phrase that the Bhagwan says prior to before the, you know, the episode ends is that if the police don't, is not, if the police is not going to do, is not going to take action, then my people will take the action. And then it, then, then the episode right, ends. Right, because it's lobbying up to the next episode. Right, exactly. Which, you know, which is even more entertaining because I'm, 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 I'm fascinated by this. I mean, now, now the plot thickens, well, the plot thickens, now, of course, Sheila's now gone. Now we're going to see the the direction of either or. So Okay, so um, I think with that, we've concluded our recording for this time. Yep. Now, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, like I said, leave comments. You know, if you want to throw out some tidbits that maybe we have missed, of course, we're always, you know, more eyes the merrier. But once again, yeah, thank you for uh, chiming into Colts Coffee and Conversation, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Mm -hmm.